You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we do it. If you'd like to call in, our number is 844-999-9249, or you can always email the show at letstalktorah at gmail.com. I do have a guest. The guest has not arrived yet. It seems there were some issues with traffic. So when Ricky Friedman gets here, we'll talk. But it, it reminded me of a story. Everything reminds me of a story. So by one of my son's weddings, so by Jewish weddings, there's a rabbi who officiates, and many boys want their rabbi, the head of their school, and it happened to be one of these days where it was pouring weather. It's not pouring weather here. That's not where our guest is late. Pouring, pouring, and the wedding was in New Jersey, and the rabbi was coming from Michigan, from Detroit, and his plane was canceled. So he decided, okay, I want to go in for, uh, for, uh, he wanted to go in for my son. So he, instead of flying to Philly, he flew, or maybe it was Newark, I don't remember, flew into LaGuardia, very delayed. But we decided, my son decided, it was worthwhile to wait. So people are waiting a little bit, to eat a little bit longer, gnash a little bit longer. And what does everybody do when they're waiting for someone to come? What do you do? You, you look down the hallway. You look this way. You look that way. You're looking all over the place. I did it once, and I said to myself, hello. The rabbi is not coming any faster because I looked down the hallway. So I decided, no more looking down the hallway. When he gets here, he gets here. He got there late, but he got there. So, and I'm sure our guest will get here, and when that happens, we'll talk to her. Um, lots of things happening in this week's Torah portion. Last week we uh, was July 4th, so we weren't in the studio. We, 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 uh, we had a rebroadcast, great rebroadcast. And uh, so I didn't want to lose out on some of the great stuff in last week's Torah portion. So I'm going to start with last week, and we'll, we'll roll into this week. In last week's Torah portion, the name of the Torah portion was Korach. Korach basically set up his own rebellion against Moses, against Aaron. He had a lot of leaders with him, a lot of important people with him. And the, uh, the Medrash discusses we, what happened. W why did Korach want to lead this rebellion? I mean, Moses got the Torah. He speaks to God. He's responsible for feeding us in the desert. He's responsible for us getting water in the desert. He split the Red Sea. He got us out of Egypt. I mean, come on. Like, you're rebelling for what? And it seems he was rebelling for a position of power. What, what is he thinking? And, he, and he, he coaches it with the words that, that uh, and he was a very special holy person. He actually was one of the four who carried the ark. He was a good person, at least before he started the rebellion. So what happened that he could even have such a thought process? And uh, I talked with my uh, children over... Uh, on Shabbos, the rabbi said, really brilliant. The question was that the, the Jewish people received the manna, that heavenly food that fell every day. 
And what was amazing about the manna was, depending on how you were behaving on yesterday, would depend how your manna, again, that heavenly food, would come the next day. You're very righteous. It would be by your doorstep. It would be more like loaves of bread. If you weren't so good, maybe it was dough a little further down the block. If you were wicked, it was it was like kernels, and it was out towards the desert. So how could Korach not know, and his followers, by the way, how could they not know that they were off base? Just check the food, see where your food is, and you know you got it wrong. And if you got it wrong, then... Um, then maybe you should just stop. It could be very, could be dangerous. Was fantastically dangerous. Unfortunately, um, Korach, a few of his henchmen, and 250 other people all died. And these were great people, at least at one point. So, forgetting about how we answer that question, maybe we'll answer it. Maybe we won't have time. Forgetting about what Korach was thinking, we really care how he got to that point. And he got to that point through jealousy. Korach was jealous. And jealousy, we talked a couple weeks about it with our doctor friends and our rabbi friend uh, with that book with uh, Mordechai Wecker. Um, There are certain um, character traits that just destroy everything. They destroy a person, they destroy families, and jealousy is up there. I think they had four. We had anger and jealousy and lust, and I can't remember the last one. Maybe honor? No, that's jealousy. There were four. Of course, I only remember three out of the four. Someone will remind me eventually. And Korach was jealousy. He was a cousin, interesting enough, of Moses. And when Moses was handing out different positions, um, he Moses seemed to have skipped over Korach and went to a younger cousin. I was from a, a younger family. So if there was four important families and Moses is from the oldest, Korach is from the second oldest family, and Korach feels he's passed over. He wants leadership. He wants to be in charge. And he's not getting it. But he was egged on, really. And it's really amazing, the power of a wife. There's two women that are in the background of, the, of last week's Torah portion. One kills her husband, and one saves her husband. What happens is, Korach would come home, he was becoming, uh, uh, when the Levites were getting their holiness, when they were becoming the ones that would serve and help the priests in the temple and in the tabernacle. So, so there was a process. They had to shave, and they had to be waved up and down by Aaron, and, and uh, he would come home, and he'd tell his wife what happened, and his wife, instead of saying, wow, amazing, how fantastic, you're so special— Instead, she said, oh, you're letting Moses do this to you. He's taking advantage of you, and he's treating you. He's on purpose putting you down, so you shouldn't want to take a position of authority. And look what Moses did over here and over there. And, and she, she got into his brain, besides the fact he was a jealous person, but she had the ability to egg Korach on and get him angry. And once a person gets that jealousy bug in his head, he's blind. So the truth is, any question that we would ask, why did Karech do this? What was Karech thinking about that? Doesn't he realize Moses speaks to God whenever he wants? Doesn't he realize Moses spoke to God on Mount Sinai? Doesn't he realize Moses gets us the water and the, and the heavenly bread, the manna and the clouds? He's leading the way. God is not talking to Karech. God is talking to Moses. But the amazing thing is that when a person is fantastically jealous, and it doesn't have to be fantastic. He starts out jealous, then the jealousy just grows, and as that jealousy grows, 
then the person's brain pretty much stops working. There's a few cases, you know, anger, a person's brain stops working, that's like immediate. But even jealousy, I can figure out any question you're going to ask me, I'm going to have a good answer for. A few basic answers they give that Korach uh, knew that God speaks to Moses and gives him the Torah, and Moses is the prophet, but who gets positions of power? Maybe Moses gets to decide. Maybe Moses prays for who gets which positions of power. And, that, and as Korach felt that there is some area where it's not God, it's coming from Moses. And it was, Korach should have known that that's not true. Korach should have known that Moses does nothing, doesn't say one word without God's permission. But Korach is jealous. And a jealous person can convince himself anything he wants. And Korach is busy convincing himself that I have a spot, I have a position, I'm allowed to rebel. That's the wife that's not helpful to her husband. There's another wife that, again, we don't see her. She's in the background. This has nothing to do with, uh, with uh, women's rights and, and a wife is in the background. I don't mean to say that at all. That is not even the discussion I'm having right now. But happens to be, in this Torah portion, these two women are, are not mentioned by name. They are just in the background. But in the background, like every good puppet master, they are controlling the situation. So one of Karel's henchmen was a man by the name of On Ben Peles. On Ben Peles was part of Korach's gang. I want to call him one of his henchmen. And they were there in the fight, getting ready to start up with Moses. So On comes home, tells his wife, oh, me and the boys, me and the boys, we're, we're taking care of Moses. We're going to take over the leadership here. We're going to be the new leaders. We're going to run this, uh, this nation the way it should be run. We're not going to let Moses take advantage of us. And like all good wives, again, we are just saying this to explain what it says. Um, like all good wives, she says, again, for those who are married, my dear husband, you should not be involved in this fight. Think about it. Right? Again, the wife... She's listening, she's watching the whole story, she's watching the production, and probably two things. First of all, she realizes that her husband should not be starting up a Korach. That's the first smartness that she has. The second smartness she has is she has to convince her husband to, uh, to get out before he gets killed. The question is, how do you convince your husband? The husbands uh, don't like being convinced too often. I have lots of experience. So, um, so Owen says, uh, tells her what's going on, and she says, you know, this is a bad idea. I tell you why. Think about it. If Moses wins the battle, then you guys are all dead. Okay? Let's say, let's say somehow Moses loses the battle and Korach wins. So if Korach wins, what do you think is going to happen to you? You're not the leader. Korach is the leader. Moses gone, Korach is the leader, and you're the same guy you were till now. There is nothing in this um fight, we're calling it a fight, this argument, there is nothing in it for you. So stay home. And like every good man, Owen says, oh, I told the guys I was going to be there. I promised them, who knows what story to make up. I told them I'd be there. I promised them. I'm, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm involved in so much stuff. I've been involved in all preparation. How could I not go? I got to go. So uh, Owen's wife says, you don't have to go, but don't worry. I'll fix it for you. 
So again, according to the Medrash, it seems she gets him drunk, she puts him to sleep, and she goes outside of her tent and she dresses in an immodest way. So again, it's fascinating. All these people that are fighting, Korach and Moshe and, and On and Dustin Aviram and the 250 men, it's a holy fight. That was even in holiness, even in spirituality, it's possible for people to quarrel and fight. But the problem is, you know, in a war, so, you know, fist fight, judo, weapons, we, we, I want your land, you want my land, I want oil, whatever we're fighting about, it's very clear. In a holy fight, each side is trying to prove I'm more holy than you. I am more holy than you. So the problem is, I, I, just because I'm fighting with Moses, I'm going to keep the Sabbath, I'm going to keep kosher, um, and I'm going to be careful because I'm very holy, and I'm not going to go somewhere or look somewhere where it's not really a, a modest situation where a lady's dressed uh, inappropriately. I'm not going to walk down there and start looking at her. So therefore, when the gang is approaching Owen's tent, they say, oh, we can't go this way. We're too holy. We can't do that. So, um, so therefore, they went. Own sleeps through the whole story. So, Korach will die. Das and Avirim will die. The 250 will die. And Own wakes up the next day, and he's good. Now, we don't hear from him ever again. But uh, at least he lived. And he lived because he listened to his wife. So, just a fascinating lesson. This has to be one of the, you know, last week, but every Torah portion, but last week's Torah portion, all kinds of great lessons for husbands and wives and the first one is that when your wife tells you something, I'm not saying you always have to listen. Don't get me wrong. But you should be listening because they probably have a point. You may also have a point. I'm not saying not. But certainly um, you got to listen and see what she's trying to tell you because uh, most of the time um, they'll get it right. I actually just heard a joke. I mean, there's a thought for all my non-married people in my studio over here, so they're not going to get the joke. But anyways, here's a joke. Uh, the person asked the following question. Um, if a man is talking in the forest and there is no woman to hear him, is he wrong anyways? Or something like that. Well, at least I got a chuckle. A chuckle is good enough. So in any case, um, he's probably wrong, but there's just no one to tell him, but he can assume that he got it wrong. So, um, okay, so that's the, the beginning of that Torah portion to about the jealousy. Oh, so now that I have an extra minute or two. Um, so the question is, what was Karach thinking? Like, first of all, I told you, right, that somebody who's jealous, the brain is not working properly, he's going to think that he's got it all right. So what's with the mana? What gives? What happened by the mana that Korach um, didn't realize my mana is in the wrong place? So... The rabbi in my synagogue said last week, just brilliant. And you see how far a person who's thinking wrong, how far it can go. What happens? He says, Korach says, you know, I'm fighting with Moses because I think that's the right thing to do. Now all of a sudden I wake up and my mana is out in the field. You know why my mana is out in the field? Because I'm not fighting hard enough. If I would be fighting hard enough then I would accomplish. Must be God is unhappy how I'm fighting Moses. So it's amazing the, the turn of, of what a person could think. It's just, it's, it's fantastically amazing. So continuing last week's Torah portion, we're going to finish out this segment with, uh, with last week's Torah portion. So, um, so interesting enough, 
you would think that Moses should just ignore the whole thing. Like, okay, you say you should be in charge. Stand on your head. Who cares? I'm in charge. God put me in charge. Why is Moses dealing with Korach? Not only does Moses deal with Korach, but he says when they're at the final, we'll call it the final battle, they're going to all be standing there with their, with their incense, they're burning the incense over there called the Ketores. And, uh, and Moses makes a statement. He says, if these people will die like a regular person dies, then God didn't send me. But if God creates something new or if something was created from the six days of creation and that will destroy them, then you'll know God sent me. And the end is the earth opens up like a, like a mouth and it swallows them in a funnel and all their families get swallowed and all the money gets swallowed. Like, it's almost like Moses is taking this personally, which is really strange because Moses is the most humble person ever. And if Moses is the most humble ever, how could he take something personal? Right? It doesn't make sense, right? Either you're humble or you take things personally. You, you can't be both. So it's really a very, very important lesson. Um, and that is that, so Moses brings down the Torah. He writes down word for word what God says. Somebody says, you know, Moses, um, I think on law number 472, I don't think that's what God said. So even if the guy is right, okay, so we'll cross out 472. But once I can say you made a mistake on one command, or I can say you made a mistake on one thing that happened. Once I have the power to say you made a mistake, now the whole Torah is in the garbage. Because you can make a thousand mistakes. Who says, I, I say God didn't give you permission to appoint people. The next guy says, I think you, I think uh, kosher food you made up. And the next guy says, I think you made up Sabbath. Everything is made up. If everything, if, if one word could be made up, then everything could be made up. And I think I hear my music. Do I hear my music? Does that mean it's 30 seconds or 15 seconds? 15 seconds. Oh, so we're going to wrap up. So my, 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 my guest, Ricky Friedman, is not here yet, but I hope she's in the hallway. I hope she'll come in during the break. So hold through the break, and hopefully when you come back, I'll be joined by Ricky Friedman. You're listening to Rabbi Tzu on Let's Talk Torah, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. Hmm, some character. That's the horror well, I think she's going to open the next week. It's the phone in the Fat Cemetery. It's got a cord. <laughs> I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Yeah. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? Hey, how are you? I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of The Drop-In with Gerald Valley. Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you.
still have an empty chair, still waiting for Ricky, but don't worry. If she takes too long to come, she will just have to come another week. But in any case, so, okay, that really got us through the uh, part of Korah that I wanted to discuss. I guess there's so many good things to talk about there, but let's get into this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is called Chukas. The beginning of Chukas has the famous red cow. Even King Solomon said he didn't really understand all the ins and outs of the red cow, who it purifies, why it purifies. Our problem is we don't even understand purify, not purify, and I touch the dead body. Now I can't go into the tabernacle. I can't go into the temple. Um, so the whole concept of being pure or impure is really something we don't relate very well to. We just, we don't always relate. So that's fine. Um, what's interesting is um, when you look through the laws of the Torah, there's, you, the, like, there's a bulk of the Torah laws about sacrifices and purity laws. It's interesting. The stuff that we don't get so good is where all the laws seem to be uh, based, not all, but a humongous portion. So it's cool. It's the Torah portion, the red cow. Um, the bottom line is you need this perfect red cow. In other words, it can't even have two black hairs. Um, they would uh, slaughter it and then and burn it up into ashes. And they take that ashes and put it into um, into spring water. And then somebody who was in a cemetery or touched their body, he would get sprinkled on the third day and on the seventh day. And then he'd go um, into a, a pool of water. And then he'd go into the temple and then he could eat sacrifices. That's the basic gist of, of the beginning of this Torah portion. However, there's a very famous story connected to, um, to this red cow. It's a great story. So the story is with a, a man by the name of Dun Benesina. Dun Benesina was not Jewish. And you can imagine when they needed, when they needed a red cow, um, it was quite valuable. Quite, quite valuable. And, uh, and there weren't too many of them, and they would do whatever they could to get one. So the rabbis heard that this uh, Dun Benesina um, had a cow, and they went to buy this cow from Dominicina. And I think I'm getting the story backwards, but that's okay. Either way, the story works. And so this Dominicina, so they go to, they, I'm sorry, I have it backwards. The story is he had a jewel that they needed for one of the clothing in the Kohen Gadol and the high priest. They needed a certain diamond. They went to buy this diamond from him, whatever this jewel was. And uh, he said, I'm sorry, I can't give you the diamond. My father is sleeping. My father is sleeping. The key is under his pillow or the chest is under his feet. I can't give it to you. So the rabbi said, yeah, I'll give you millions for this diamond. And he says, no, I'm not, I'm not taking the millions for the diamond. Anyways, a year later, he had the red cow. That's what I was talking about. And they come back a year later, and again, they offer him millions. And he says, you know, I could get whatever I want for this red cow, but, uh, but I'm only going to take the money I lost last year because I realized that God wanted to pay me back. So, uh, so that's the end of the story. But now, we'll talk about stories later, but now I am joined by Ricky. How was the traffic, Ricky? Oh, it was really, really great. Oh, good. Really wonderful. I'm only 30 minutes late. Oh, it's not so bad. <laughs> not so late. What would your father tell you? He'd say, come on, so you don't drive faster. It's not going to help anyways. What's the difference? 100%. Whatever it takes. So first things first. Okay, we're talking about that story. We'll get to that story later. Um, 
since well, now that you're here, I haven't talked about you, and we had that funny email earlier today. Um, so why don't you take a minute or two? Who is Ricky Friedman besides the friend, besides the daughter of my friend Steve, which is good enough, by the way? <laughs> Who am I? I am a life coach, a motivational speaker, and I own a company called Break the Weight. So I coach people to identify and pinpoint the weight in their life, mentally, physically, and emotionally, and help them work through it by developing positive coping skills. Cool. I love life coaching. You should only know over the months we 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 have psychologists, we have we have coaches, we have, and they all have different thoughts and different feelings. Um, did you train to teach people um, how to cope with the, with different things that happen in their life, or did you sort of figure it out along the way? So this fell into my lap. I started my company, Break the Weight, when I was 23 years old. I'm 31 now. So this was a project between me and a girlfriend. She had come to me and asked me to help her lose 150 pounds of weight, of physical weight. And at the time, I was not in a really good place in my life, and I was experiencing a lot of grief from the loss of my mom when I was 13. And I just I felt weighed down by my own existence in a lot of ways. And she said, you know, I really think that you'd be a really good coach. And it was the first time in my life where someone really put their trust in me and made me come and see that I could be a leader. So I said, all right, I'll coach you, whatever. No clue what I'm doing, but we'll figure it out as we go. I had uh, developed a few things in my own personal life that were starting to work for, for me. And I was, you know, developing these habits. And so I had said, all right, I'm just going to apply these to you. Let's see. Let's see how it works. So I built this little system and I started coaching her. And this was this thing that we kept between us. And every day I would go over to her house and we'd go on walks together and I'd help her with her food and make sure she was accountable. And we were having a lot of fun. And about a month into it, I just had this idea that we should take the journey public because I felt that I had done so much suffering on a personal level on my own. And I was in this place where I wanted to change my life. And she was in this place where she was changing her life and I had the opportunity to help her. So I thought, why don't we invite people into the journey? You know, so often you see people change their life. You get the before, you get the after, but like what happens in the middle, right? The dirty details of the bad days, the good days, the fights, the ups and the downs, I mean, that's life. So we created this blog called Break the Weight, and which is the name of my company now. And we decided to showcase the journey by blogging about it. So she would blog and I would blog under her. And we did this every single day for 290 days. And we had this following. And the more that we blogged, the more physical weight she lost, the more emotional weight I lost. And we were talking about more than just food. We were talking about grief. She had experienced the loss of her dad when she was three. We were talking about abuse. She had been abused when she was younger. We were talking about depression, my depression. And long story short, she lost 100 pounds in that 290 days, and I lost 100 pounds emotionally. And after that experience was done, the word weight was officially redefined for me. And I realized that everyone had heaviness. So I turned it into a company, which became you know, what I do now in the coaching. And then I turned it into this more of movement of everyone has weight in their life to be broken. And what is heavy and how can we lighten the packs? So now I speak all over you know, on that message of lightening the pack in your life. Very, very cool. <laughs> very good. That was, <laughs> How's that for a handful? <laughs> that was excellent. It wouldn't make an elevator pitch, but it was really very, very good. I could have shortened it. 
No, 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 no. Well, yeah, I'm sure you. But that's yeah. the story, you know. That is the story. We all have stories. We do all have stories. Yes. You know, I was wondering to myself a little bit. We were preparing. I know you're you're working on getting. You are a speaker. You're a motivational speaker. You're working on getting on the circuit. Um, do you ever wonder? See, I don't wonder because I get to talk about the Torah portion. So you know, every week there's so much stuff to talk about. I never finish. I'm a rabbi. We tell stories. Sure. Ask your father. Uh, <laughs> uh, but in any case, um, do you ever wonder? that you're going to run out of stuff to say? No. Oh, cool. Just wondered. No, you know, the message of weight is so universal. I mean, how can you run out of something when people are so affected by it? I mean, everyone's weighed down by something in their life, whether it's grief or losing a job or, you know, not answering that email. I mean, there's weight all the time. So I think it's a universal message. And I believe that you can't run out of things that people are affected by. So when you're going to help coach somebody, it sounds like um, you want them to talk. Sounds like you wanted to talk. Sounds like when, when, when you were realizing that there was a lot of grief that you needed to talk. I mean, again, there's all kinds of, uh, that's the fascinating part about life, right? I would just speak to a couple people, and they each have a completely different uh, way of dealing with it. Some people want to bury it. You clearly don't want to bury anything. Um, so, but what is, you know, if you had a game plan with an average person who walks in, what, what's, what's the game plan? Obviously, everybody's different. But what's the basic game plan to help somebody through their weight, whatever their weight is? Yeah, so to be transparent, I'm actually in the process of rebranding and regrowing and rebuilding everything right now. And what I was doing, what I've been, what I've been doing for the past seven years, it was called the Breaker Program. And so that was really more based on changing lifestyle habits. And now I'm really focused on figuring out a way, I'm creating a way to build a simple system that everyone will be able to apply to their life, whether it's a physical weight, an emotional weight, or a mental weight. So, you know, it's funny because everyone has their own story, right? And everyone has different traumas and different, different weights in their life. But people tend to deal with it all in very similar ways. And I think the problem is is that people think it's so unique. You know, they're so alone and, they're, and what how they're dealing with it is so different, but it's really not. And whether it's substance abuse or shitty sorry, crappy relationship <laughs> or you know, eating too much or just having lack of motivation, laying in bed, not wanting to answer that email. I mean, it's all very similar and it really runs down to the weight that's underneath the weight is how I like to put it. So it's it really is a mindset and a limiting belief. And we're not special in our pain. We're just it's a normal part of life. And I think that if people understood that and they and they they could com be comforted by it instead of so afraid of it, then we could embrace it more. And deal right. with it. You're saying something fascinating. In other words, I have to come to terms with who I am. This is who I am. I need to be happy with who I am. Yes, I had a life I led. And whatever happened to me got me to the point I am today, which I know you like to talk about. You're obviously, what life has thrown your way has changed you and made you who you are today and what you are today. And I can't tell if I hear my music in the background, but I should be hearing <laughs> the background momentarily. Now I hear it in the background. Ooh, See, they took, away, they took away my clock, so I have no idea what time it is anymore. But in any case, we are joined with Ricky Friedman. You're listening to Rabbi Chan. Let's Talk Torah. Hold through the break, and we're going to be right back. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? 
For those answers, you're gonna have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks. Times we see a guy running down to first base, and it's, it turns into a hobble. Get yeah, umped. I mean, that's <laughs> get umped. <laughs> that can't be the same guy. Can't be the same guy. I'll tell you what happened. Get Morty. I got the Szechuan sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. Well, your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Welcome back to Who's Got Chutzpah. I'm your host, Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. And are you ready? Cindy, uh, what holiday is this associated with? Oh, boy. Uh, uh. Sukkot? I'm sorry, that's not the answer we were looking for. Whitney, for the win, can you tell us which holiday is this? I know. Shavuot. No, I'm sorry. I've got the answer. Ta-da! What? My show, Let's Talk Torah, where we talk Torah, holidays, faith, and all the things that help us live our life. That's Let's Talk Torah, Thursdays at 3 p.m. That's pretty good. I closed my eyes, drew back the curtain. And we're back! <laughs> and as long as people laugh, that's good. You missed my jokes before. I don't have too many jokes I get to carry with me. But you know, we gotta do, we gotta talk about the Torah portion. Okay. I, 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 you didn't have the upbringing I had, you'd be surprised. Um, but I, you know, for years, I, this is a funny story. The first time I met your father, so your father says to me, I mean, we're talking 20 years ago. Eight, we discussed somewhere around that, 18 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, and your father says to me, like, Rabbi, why should we study? So I said, Steve, I said, how does your, you know, your Passover Seder go? So I tell you the truth. The kids are not interested. <laughs> it's very boring. I said, of course it's boring, Steve. You don't know the story. But if we learn the story, then it'll become much more interesting. Now, I don't know what happens yeah. at your Seder. <laughs> I, have, I know there's a lot of people there. But I can tell you, for a good couple of years, we went through the Torah portions, we went through the story, you know, so the Haggadah is the booklet. It's the, the one I use is a little bigger than, than what, you know, I guess many people out there would like to go through. So he says to me, he says, so which parts do I have to do? I said, okay, let's go through it here. I'll check off the important parts and you skip the other parts. Because, like, I don't want you to do the unimportant and skip the important. Sure. So, um, so how are your Passover Seders? They're loud. Loud is good. And quick. You know, they're quick. We do the we do the online seder. It's not the most traditional, but it's you know, we're all there for the same reason. We all believe in it. We all have the same thought process that we know that it's important. Are we the most Jewish, you know, 
yeah, we're Jewish, but we're not like sitting there reading it forever. But there's also a lot of us, so we kind of have to get through it. There's got some babies. We got, I think there's like 55 people at our dinners. It's great. It's really a lot of people and a lot of hungry Jewish people, and we know how that goes. Yes, I know everybody's brisket. Yes, I know, and whoever whoever has to cook and bake and and work and uh, yeah, don't worry. I know that we don't have that many people. It's a lot. I mean, on, on sometimes we'll have upwards of twenty, but I, I run it just very different. By me, I focus very much on the little ones. If they're babies, by the way, they're sleeping. Like right. the babies, I can't talk to. But uh, we tell stories, and we we um, everybody gets to talk, and they come back from school with their booklets and their statements, and <laughs> awesome. and Manishtana could take an hour, and the kids stand up, and the older kids each want to say it in a different language, and they play with it. But but the goal is, and I had a guy on fascinating. He was in um, he was in Vietnam, mm-hmm. so he happened to have gone to the Seder by his grandparents, and um, and he's he's out on a mission the night of the Seder. And everything that's happening, he's remembering what his grandparents were doing. He's sort of connected. I'm crying, and this tears, and, and I'm eating whatever my rations, and that's like the matzah, and I, I'm eating grass, and that's like the bitter herbs. Like, but, but what was beautiful about the whole thing was he had that memory. As the purpose of the Seder is all about memories. We want to put into our children that... I tell my kids the same one-liner. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and God, in his mercy, took us out, and he took us for his own people, and he gave us a Torah. I don't even say that last part. That I just added it now. But, but, the, but the point is that as we move along in life, right, that's our anchor that holds on to our Jewishness. If there's nothing to anchor us, to hold on, then we just float away, and then there's not much left. Yeah. I, I just got back from Russia. Cool. Yeah. I, you know, I... So it's interesting. I spent a long time just sort of living in this, oh, yeah, I'm Jewish, I go to temple, whatever kind of world, and I identified with it for sure. But, you know, I'm not, I, I went to services because my dad felt like it was important, so it really wasn't for me. And I would say about last year, I started becoming really close to a rabbi in Michigan and going to Shabbat dinners, and I really found it to be a beautiful thing, and it wasn't necessarily because it, I understood every single thing that they were saying, but the part that I really could get on with was the spiritual aspect of Judaism. I mean, that to me, that resonates with me and the community and the need to give back and the, the need for service. So I think it's you find these little pockets of what you can relate with. And, you know, I went to Russia and we visited St. Petersburg and Moscow and we met, you know, Chief Rabbi Lazar and we, it was awesome. It was amazing. And still the part that I held on to was this universal spirituality that I think is extremely common in all different communities and religions. And I think people understood that we're we're all really for the same thing. We all want to believe in something higher. And I think it's where do you put your belief? And I believe it might be God or it's the universe, but I do believe in it. And I, I respect it and I identify with with it. Good, because that was going to lead me on to my next question for you. <laughs> Got you. And that was, and we, I mean, I've been thinking about it. I did listen to other interviews that you did. I, I do, you know, do a little bit of research. And um, again, we don't have to go through the, unless you want, we don't Whatever have to go through it all. Want. I know, I know. Uh, that's my time is the issue. Okay. But, um, but Ricky's mother passed away when she was uh, 13. Yes. And certainly that's part of the emotional baggage you've been carrying with you. And, and I heard you say to someone that uh, you may not, 
be happy with the life that was set up earlier. And obviously, it was emotional. It was, you know, we all want to be, be raised in that perfect family, that perfect world. But none of us are. Mm. And we end up where we are. And you yourself had said to somebody, I guess the question is that looking at where you are now, right, are you... I don't know if happy is the right word, but are you, are you happy with the way life is turning out? And it only would have turned out this way because of how the dominoes have fallen. I'm very happy. I'm very grateful. And I don't say that in an arrogant, everything's perfect kind of way. I say it in a very real way. I've done a lot of work. And my pain is my greatest gift. My loss is my greatest gain. And I believe that. And so someone actually the other day said, like, do you ever wish your mom was here? And it's an interesting question because I really of course I do, but I don't. Because if she was, I would never have started a company. I would never have decided that I wanted to be a speaker and travel the entire world. I would never have created this message of heaviness and weight. I wouldn't be sitting across from you. So her loss has been my greatest gain. And has it been an easy road? No. But I've never looked at it like it was happening to me. I always have believed it's happened for me. And I think that that's with anything. You know, if anyone's listening right now and you're going through something, it's a shift in mindset. It's a, I'm not powerless, I'm powerful. And all right, what can I do with this? Because it's a gift. I think it's a gift. And I feel that when something's a gift, you have to be present for it and you have to recognize it. And I recognized it. You know, I think I would have done something similar with my life no matter what. Just I would have lived a different non-traditional path. I don't even consider myself a therapist. I don't really even consider myself a life coach. I think it's a different, you know, and I'll figure that out eventually, but did it did it propel me this way? Absolutely. And I'm so grateful for it. And listen, I had anxiety this morning. So like happiness is not defined by the moments of your day. It's you've kept joy, you have pain, you have good day, bad day, and to me it's how big of an impact am I making? How, how, how full am I living my life? That's happiness to me. Maybe it's a crappy day, but it's still, I'm still alive. And that's to me is the, the beauty of it. I get to be alive. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, they say all the time that people that, ha- that do have pain, well, at least you know you're alive, but sure. yes, but you're living. So you don't have to answer this question. It's I'll just- answer whatever, any question. You'll be surprised what I can okay, ask. Okay, God. But in any case, <laughs> um, so the, the, the life that has been chosen for you, we can mm-hmm. ask this in two different ways. Um, do you blame God for it? Do you think it's God's fault? Do you think God set it up this way for you? Or irrelevant? I think this was the path. I don't, I don't blame anyone. I think bad luck. Like, it just, you know. I, right, that's, that's what I mean. When somebody says bad luck, so bad luck is happenstance. In other words, I could be walking down the street, I could step off a sidewalk, and a car could be coming. Sure. So there's what we call good luck, bad luck. It just happens to be that way. That's one way of looking at things. Coming from where I'm coming from, don't worry, your father's had, not had it out with me, but we've discussed this a little bit. And that is where I'm coming from, I'm blaming it all on God. I do like it, I don't like it. It becomes irrelevant. It's this is the path God wants me, so it's a setup. The question is, what do I do with the setup? Do I take the setup and just fold? Or do I take the setup that God gave me? And as my job, we tell children all the time, you know, God's never going to ask me when my time is up, how come I wasn't this great rabbi? How come I wasn't this great person? How come I didn't build this hospital? God's going to look at me and say, these are the cards I gave you. This is the talents I gave you. What'd you do with it? 
Did you use it? Did you squander it? That was your job. So, therefore, I, that was the, yeah. the question I was sort of asking. Just sometimes if you think about it, because I know in healing, because you talk about spirituality. Obviously, spirituality doesn't must mean God, but for many people it does. That yeah. was my thought. I would imagine that, I mean, listen, grief and loss and pain and trauma, you go through so many stages of it. So maybe I blamed him when I was 15. Do I blame him now? I'm, no, I'm thankful. I would imagine that my mom felt like it was unfair. I, you know, I try to think about it from her perspective because there's, you only know so much. I only know it from my perspective. I'm sure my dad thought it was unfair at the time. And you have to empathize in the fact that I don't know really what it's like to have been her. And so there's so many different stages of this process of grief. And I'm sort of at that place where I don't feel like I feel like I'm I've moved forward from it. But I, I think about it from her perspective. So for me, it's fair because this it is what it is. But I think it what exactly what you said, like it's what you do with it. You want to sit there and like be a victim. Then you then your life is going to go one way. You want to be strong, then it's going to go another way. It's mindset. I I believe it, in my opinion. Okay. All we all we want to do is hear people's uh, thoughts. And it's not easy. So I think that's. I want to just add that in. Just because it's mindset, just because I've made a choice, does not mean I haven't had a lot of bad moments, days. It is making a choice does not mean it's going to be easy. So you just have to choose your heart. Cool. So I've got to throw in something this week's story portion talking about making a choice, talking about fear and not fear. So Moses, we're getting actually towards the end of the 40 years in the desert by this week's story portion. Miriam, his sister, has since died. And when she dies, the water, the water supply dries up completely. And as they had this well, this rock, this traveling rock, that, uh, that's where the water supply came from. Moses had hit that rock 40 years earlier. Now Miriam dies. The water was in her merit. Now it's gone. So, of course, the people come. We're in the desert. No water. What are we going to do? We need water. So God tells Moses, go to the rock and talk to the rock and you'll get water. Moses takes a stick with him. He goes and talks to the rock. And the rock doesn't give the water he's looking for. So he takes his stick and he hits the rock. So now water comes gushing out. Everybody has the water. Beautiful. We're all saved. But God says to Moses, I told you to talk to the rock. He didn't talk to the rock. He hit the rock, which doesn't sound like such a big deal. Hmm. doesn't even sound fair. So God says, Moses, sorry, but um, you're also going to die. You're not going to the land of Israel anymore, which was his dream to lead the Jewish people into the land of Israel. You're going to die out here in the desert like everybody else died because you did not sanctify my name by talking to the rock instead of hitting to the rock. So forgetting about what the difference of talking or hitting is, but it becomes an interesting example of, is that fair? Like all I did was I, I, I hit the rock, I didn't talk to the rock. Um, fair, he made a choice. Now, did he know what that choice was going to cost him? Absolutely not. But that happens all the time. We don't know. So with like 30 seconds, I don't know if you even know this story. Did they teach you this story when you were growing up? It's a summer Torah portion. Nobody ever I, I mean, that. I don't remember, honestly. Fair they, enough. They probably did teach me. But it's, uh, it's interesting. I like it. Why? Because I think it goes along with everything we just sort of said. It's like you make these choices and you're not always exactly sure how they're going to turn out. But I think the best thing you can do is weigh out the options. I mean, know that if you could look at two choices and you have a list and you're like, all right, here's what might happen, here's what could happen, you'll probably make a better choice. 
Okay, we're getting ready. Time is flying. Woo. So you're listening to it with, with me, Rabbi Tzvi, and Ricky Friedman. We're going to be back. Rabbi Yonason Goldson will join us. Hold through the break. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're going to have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks. Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's the horror movie. <laughs> Bury the phone in the Bat Cemetery. It's got a cord. <laughs> I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Yeah. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? have a few minutes left with our guest Ricky Freeman, but before we get back to Ricky, we are joined by my friend Rabbi Yonison Goldson of Ethical Imperatives. Yonison, how are you today? How are you? Alana, are we alive? Is there a button we're not pushing? I'm not hearing anything. Oh, now I hear you. Yonison, try again. Yeah, I'm you? not hearing you, though. You don't hear me. You want to give it, you want to call him back? He doesn't hear us. I hear him. I'm getting little tiny bits of voice that I can't make out. Um, Alana, can you hear me? Do you want to call him back? He says he doesn't hear us. But you, you're talking. So I tell you what, tell him to start talking, and we'll do it that way. Tell him just... Wait, I can, I can hear you a little bit now. Okay, so Jason, just go ahead and start. Okay, very good. Well, there are actually a lot of things we could talk about in the headlines. So, was the Labor Secretary Alex Acosta justified when he made a plea deal with Jeffrey Epstein in 2008? Is having a citizenship question on the national census form a good idea? Was the Supreme Court correct to not rule on the subject of electoral gerrymandering? These are all important questions, and they all have one thing in common. I don't know enough about them to have an informed opinion, and that's why we're not going to talk about them. In this week's tour portion, we open with the mitzvah of Para Aduma, the red cow, the most impenetrable commandment in the Torah. It's the classic chok. A chok is a commandment that defies human logic, and I phrase it that way for a reason. Many translate or perhaps mistranslate the word chok as a mitzvah we don't understand or a mitzvah that has no reason. 
of course it has a reason. Otherwise, God wouldn't have told us to do it. Right? Many translators, um, excuse me, um, even if it's difficult to understand, that doesn't mean we can't at least understand some of it. But we need to approach it by changing our way of thinking, probing deeper and looking at it from unfamiliar and even uncomfortable angles. Ultimately, a chok reminds us to stay humble, to remember the limitations of human understanding so that we will continually challenge ourselves to ask questions, to seek answers, and to never stop learning. With that, I wish you a very good Shabbos. Yadison, thanks so much. I don't know if you can hear me. Have a great Shabbos, and we'll be in touch. So, Ricky, so yes. what I do every week, you can see it's right behind me on my right shoulder. We have this week's, I'm joking, it's on the video screen. Oh. You can't see it. Gosh. But we're up to our next letter. We're up to the ninth letter in the Jewish alphabet, and that letter is a tes or a tet. I don't know how good your Hebrew is, but that's it. It looks like a backwards fish hook. You can't really have a backwards fish hook. Sort of looks like a fish hook. It makes a T sound. Okay. And we always try to get a word of the week, and my word this week is tahar. Tahar actually means purity, which happens to fit very good because the purpose of the red cow that we talked about before you walked in and Abby Goldson was talking about it, the red cow was used in the purification process. So Tahar, which means purity, is the word of the week. So even though I always almost end with a story, instead I'm going to say the, it's, it's not a real story, but we're going to listen to it. I think you'll appreciate it. I think you have a good time with it. So... Um, so there's a farmer, he has a horse, his horse runs away, and his friends say, oh, you lost your horse, terrible. So the guy says, good, bad, hard to know. Anyways, a few days later, the horse comes back with seven stallions. So everybody says, whoa, what a deal, you thought you lost your horse, instead you got seven new stallions, it's fantastic. So again, the farmer says, yeah, good, bad, hard to know. A few days later, his son is riding out there on the stallion, falls off the horse, breaks his leg. Oh, if you wouldn't have had the stallions, you wouldn't have broken your leg. So again, the farmer says, good, bad, hard to know. A few days later, the, um, the, uh, the, uh, the army comes, or some soldiers come and say, We're, there's a draft now, we have to take every, every able-bodied man. And we heard you have a son. Oh, my son broke his leg, he's on the couch, he's worthless to you. So again, the people said, hey, see, he broke his leg. So again, the farmer said, good, bad, hard to know, which I think, I'm not sure if I like that full thought process, but uh, what does that story tell you? Does that story speak to you? Is it about, you don't really, I mean, is it like perspective? It sounds like it's a... I think it's perspective. If you don't really actually know, it's, it's, it's not for how you look at it. I think what I what I look for in this story is, and you were talking about like we were talking about life and where life takes us, and and whenever things happen to us, life sends us in a different direction. Is it good? Is it bad? <laughs> hard to know. It's hard to know, right? Like now, whatever we think is good or whatever we think is bad turns out wasn't so good, or maybe it wasn't so bad, or maybe I don't have the whole picture. The whole picture. And and in your case, which is uh, you know. Obviously, almost uh, 20 years after your mother passed away, and you've told us how life has taken turns. At least we spent a few minutes on it. So each step of the way, was it good? Was it bad? I don't know. It's hard to know. <laughs> but where I'm standing now is good. So with our few, with our two minutes I left, that. I will give you the floor. You can leave us with what you want. Talk about your business. Tell us how to find your website. Tell us any uh, last-minute uh, thoughts before I have to wrap us up. Yeah. So first of all, thanks for having me. This is so fun. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you are feeling weighed down about something, 
and you might think it's a certain habit in your life, I encourage you to dig a little deeper. We all have different needs and a lot of people are feeling lack of connection and lonely and boredom and lack of purpose. So instead of looking at the thing that you're doing every day that might be unhealthy, understand that it's a deeper weight. And you know, you're not alone. I mean, you can still be successful and have moments of pain. You can still be happy and have moments of pain. You can live your life and have a bad day. It's every single day is a new day. And I really, I really live by that. And I believe that. And I think that if you're feeling weighed down, don't keep it to yourself because you're not, it's not a special different feeling. Everyone has these feelings. You can follow me on Instagram, Ricky N. Friedman. You can follow me on Facebook, Ricky Friedman. And my website is breaktheweight.com. I'm in the process of uh, rebranding everything. So, you know, reach out if you need anything. And thanks for listening. Yeah, it's a great website. I was playing with it today. You have, <laughs> it's all right. No, one of those things. You have all the pictures with people telling stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, and, that's cool. No, because stories, it's what it's about. Because I know Absolutely. you want to teach people that we all have stories and we all can move on and we, we can do. all survive. And that's really, really what it's all about. Absolutely. So, again, I appreciate very much you coming on. Thank I had you. a great time. I had <laughs> fun too. as always. But as always, um, time flies when we're having fun. Yeah. And my music will come on momentarily. And here it is. And I got to wrap it up. So, thank you to our wonderful yeah, sponsors. I love this song. Yeah, see, me too. I couldn't do it without you. Thank you to my wonderful team today. Kelsey, Cole, Stephen, Alana, um, Angel. Um, is Ethan here? I can't remember. I hope I left some food for thought. Until next week, I'm Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to NRM Streamcast. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.